Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Born to Talk radio show. I am really happy to introduce you to today's guest. Her name is Dr. Joanne Statton. She's a professor at the Otis College of Art and Design. And I met Joanne because she was a guest speaker at our Sunrise Playa Venice Rotary Club. And I have to tell you, I knew instantly that I wanted to feature her on my show. Welcome to the show, Joanne. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it is a pleasure. And I want our listeners to know that we're going to be talking about the projects that you work on through Otis, including the value of international work experience for college students, which is really the the topic of our show, and it's going to include so many interesting projects that you are involved in. But I thought before we did that, I'm always interested, Joanne, in sort of featuring a little bit about my my guest to my listeners so that we can get to know just a little bit about you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, you know, it's, I'm not a native Angelino. I was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and my mother was an elementary school principal. My father was also a teacher. And we also had a family farm in southern Pennsylvania, right near Gettysburg, only five miles from Gettysburg. And we had a summer camp there. And part of the reason that we had that um, was my mom was, her school was like the poorest school in Baltimore at the time. And so she wanted to give kids from the inner city an opportunity to just have a new experience to see that there was more to life than just what they were seeing in their neighborhood. So they would get a chance to go to summer camp and they would be in Southern Pennsylvania on a farm, going to Gettysburg, having all these experiences. And um, it was really an amazing opportunity. And I was a kid too. So I was kind of raised in that atmosphere. Um, And you know, when you're growing up, you don't realize that things are influencing you, but that had an immense impact on me because I saw the value up close of getting kids out of one neighborhood and into another. And that is valuable whether a child is has some economic um, challenges or even if they are, you know, well off, but they maybe need to see that life isn't the same for everybody everywhere. So I think um, that's kind of where my inspiration started through through my parents. Well, it's interesting because you grew up with parents that were in the education field, and then you found yourself in that same that same um, industry. Did what, did you go to college in in Maryland? In, I I you know, so I will say I started out in Maryland. 
I didn't end up finishing in Maryland. I, I was one of those rebellious kids who was like, I'm not going into education because you were in education. All of your friends are in education. I've got to make a new path for myself. But I ended up, which is a typical story, I ended up winding through sort of some environmental work and real estate and ended up back in education, which I'm really happy that I did. Um, so I ended up coming out to UCLA and going to school at UCLA. And I have to say that UCLA changed my life because it was, I had so many amazing opportunities to learn and discover and grow and um, through their programs that it made all the difference in the world for me. And then I kind of didn't mind going back into education. It felt very different. It felt larger, you know, so whereas when I was in Baltimore, I was, kind of looking at it the lens through my parents, you know, what they were experiencing, which was elementary school education, and I didn't really want to do that. Um, whereas, and whereas now, you know, I'm teaching at a college, and it's a, it's a different type of experience, and, and I'm not, I love it. It's interesting what, what, what I learn about my guests when we, when we have these conversations like we are having right now is that my daughter also went to UCLA, and she didn't do anything about in her career what she studied. She was a mm-hmm. theater arts major at UCLA, and she works in construction. Mm-hmm. So you never know where your path will lead you, just like you said. That's true. And I think it's it's interesting um, as you develop your path. And since we're going to be talking a lot about college from the perspective of you as the professor and, and your students, it, it's it's really interesting how that develops. And I understand, because I know a little bit about you, that you spent over two years living in Suriname in South America, learning about the role that art and the personal narrative play in the development and the acceptance of public health issues, including HIV AIDS interventions, which is enormous. And during that time, you worked collaboratively with local artists and non-governmental organizations to develop and produce several awareness projects. So being that I know that about you, what I'd like to know is why did you decide to go and live and work there? So it's really interesting. I, um, I actually taught for a year at Otis in 2005 and I was in graduate school at the time and I getting my PhD and I decided that I wanted that I wanted my graduate school experience to include international work. And I was originally planning to go to Jamaica, and my advisor said, you know, it's a little dangerous there right now. I just went to this great country called Suriname, and they have maroons in Suriname as well as in Jamaica, and I'll explain about maroons in a minute. Why don't you just see if you can write a grant, see if you can get some money, go there. If you don't like it, you don't have to go. You can go to Jamaica. And so I wrote an application for a summer research grant, and I was granted the money, and I went. And I, it was almost as though I stepped off the airplane, and I was in love immediately. Um, and that started it. But the reason that I was going overseas was I was very interested in the Maroon community. And so Maroons are the um, – well, originally they were the slaves who escaped into the rainforest. And Jamaica has, um, you know, the heirs of these – um, original slaves who escaped into the rainforest are still, they still have a community in Jamaica, but they also have a large, uh, actually a larger community in Suriname. And so that's what I was interested in was in learning about that community and um, 
just understanding sort of and being fascinated by that history of of being you know transported for slavery and finding a way out and and creating another world for yourself outside of what the system was at the time. And so that's why I ended up working in, in, in Suriname and I worked with maroon women. So I was going into the rainforest to villages in the rainforest. And I was living in a maroon community in the city and working with maroon women in the city. And we were really looking at, you know, kind of, there can be programs, awareness programs, but if you're not thinking about the differences, sort of the structural and social differences in a society, you might create an awareness program, but maybe a group of women won't come because they're not comfortable in that particular setting. And so we were looking at creating awareness um, interventions that would teach maroon women about HIV because they really were not educated about what their risks were. Um, it was there was a lot going on, and at the time they were having a you know it was really beginning to impact the neighborhood, the community. So that's really why I ended up there, and that's when a lot of the projects that we did were um, focused on finding a way to connect the information with the community, women in the community, in a way that would make them comfortable. And what we did was we used art. Um, so they had a traditional practice of, of embroidering the skirts that they would wear with messages like proverbs and things like that. So we started a project where they started putting AIDS awareness messages on their skirts. And it really sort of revitalized that whole practice. And we went from there to having an exhibition. It, it get, garnered a huge amount of attention in the country. And... Um, I saw firsthand how powerful it was to take, you know, connect people to their own culture, but also give them an opportunity to find their own way to tell the story about what was going on rather than imposing something from the West. I'm curious to know, because this is really fascinating. I've actually had several shows over my four year span um, of awarenesses in Africa around the continent and AIDS mm-hmm. being and HIV being one of them. Were the women shunned there if they had the HIV or AIDS? Well, so, yes. Yeah, so I know. So, for example, in South Africa, that was a big problem. Um, I would say here, there was something different sort of happening in Suriname. It was more like people were just staying undercover, which is dangerous because that means that everything will spread. They were, people would get, they could get shunned, but they were more than likely just not going to admit it, which meant that a lot of people were going to be put in danger as this is moving through the community. Um, and really the, the project that we did with the skirts and the embroidery was inspired by a project um, that was um, a break the silence project that started in South Africa. So we, and they had a great little uh, exhibition that, and they used art for women to tell stories about what was happening there and being shunned and all the things that were happening. And so we sort of picked up that model and then transferred it, made it work in the maroon community in South America. So, it, and that's the thing in each space, it's a little bit different. You could be shunned, but people were very quiet. And that's why the community was, you know, in real danger because there was no safe space and we were trying to create right. safe spaces. I can see that. That that's so. So your focus was, in some ways, very artistic. Then even wasn't it? I mean, did you help 
um, begin that art embroidery project yourself, or were you just how did that work? What was your focus there? Well, so so I I will say I am not an artist, but um, I really do believe in. Um, the power of communication. So we are communicating in so many different ways, right? So one way, if you look in a community and you see that um, people are communicating through messages on skirts, that's one thing. Maybe through the changing the lyrics and gospel songs to be telling the story of sadness over someone's child who's died of AIDS. Or, you know, there's all these different ways that fit the particular community. And the real question is, you know, we we didn't. I didn't come up with the artistic practice. We just. I was responsible for helping them kind of integrate the the health message into the experience. And so, what ended up happening was, I ended up working with um, Renata Ioni, who is no longer with us, unfortunately. But she was the first born maroon born and raised in um, Suriname to go public that she was. HIV positive, which was huge. Um, the only two, there were had been two people who had gone positive, who had gone public before, but they had been raised in the Netherlands and had returned to Suriname. They weren't born and raised in Suriname. So, um, so we went through the villages. We went to villages in the rainforest. We had meetings in city in the city, and we would and she would tell the story, talk to people, and it was sort of amazing because people who were afraid to ask questions when they knew she was coming, the whole village would come. So you couldn't say, well, this is just for adults. Everyone came from grandmas and grandpas to infants because nobody wanted to miss hearing what it was that she had to say. And then one of the things that would happen was that people who were HIV positive and were living secretly would have a way to get to her kind of on the side and say, help me. You know, I'm, I, I just feel such a burden of having to keep this secret. And they would meet in the city, you know, and, and she would give them some support and connect them to organizations that could help them. So we went through, we spent a lot of time going through villages. And we also worked with Peace Corps, with the Peace Corps because we had, there were Peace Corps volunteers that knew we were going to come to their village. The Peace Corps gave us some money to help us with the travel expenses, and they would help us. At that time, I don't know if it's still this way, um, the Peace Corps required that every village do some sort of AIDS awareness project. So we would go in and be their sort of their HIV and AIDS awareness project, and they would, you know, let the village know that we were coming and this is what was going to happen. And it was really quite successful and I and I learned so much from that that I just so believe in that model of the sort of western person just being the support for the local person in whatever way you can so that everyone associates the message the practice you know the way the intervention is created with the local person rather than the western person coming in and trying to assert themselves in the community. Well that makes a great deal of sense because there's a trust level and right. um and 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 that's really that's vital. So how do you think that experience shaped your current teaching philosophy today now that you're at Otis? Well, I you know, I learned from that a few things personally. One, it just made me believe so much in experience-based learning. You know, so, you know, you're thrown into something. It's not a simulation, it's real life and you have to figure out how to make this thing work. Um so that was really important. And I think that um, 
you know, once you're starting to think about, okay, you know, everyone's not going to necessarily go for two years and live in another country, but how can you sort of translate that experience into a classroom setting? You know, yes, some things you can do are smaller projects within the classroom that can be sort of real life. You know, we, in one of my other classes, we did sort of a voter education kind of class for the last election. So you're doing certain things. But one of the things that I do think is really valuable, though, is that if students have a chance for an international experience, it gives them a chance to be off balance a little bit. You know, you can't look around and say you automatically understand everything that's going on, how you're supposed to act, what everything means. And I think that's actually good for people um, to just sort of look at themselves through a different lens because they're not in a place that they're familiar with. And so that's what I, I would, I've tried. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, 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 please. Well, I guess what I – so I, I apologize for the interruption, but as someone that's done a great deal of traveling and actually with Loyola Marymount's executive <laughs> MBA program, I've been able to experience precisely what you're speaking about from a lens that it was totally unfamiliar to me. And the, my last international trip was to Africa. And, and I don't think until you really experience travel, now <laughs> granted, we did not live in it was mm-hmm. a, it was an education um, program for these students, but I was a ta- I was a tag along so to speak. So I was viewing it not from responsibilities of classwork, but just the eye opening experience of international travel. And you really can't describe customs. You have to really right. experience them. And right. for you to talk about it from the point of when you were a student. And now as a professor teaching these kinds of things, when you mentioned experience-based learning, I can see why that's just so valuable. So now that you're at back to Otis, which is a really fabulous college, I might add, that I can almost see from my house, um, how has that philosophy, how has Otis sort of supported this philosophy um, of, mm-hmm. I believe you call it Creative Action Integrated Learning Program, right? The, the C-A-I-L, yes. is that what it's called? Yes. How has Otis supported you in that philosophy? Well, you know, before I even arrived at Otis, um, Sammy Hoy, the previous president, ha- decided that he believed in this kind of, you know, sort of real-world integrated learning experience. And so what makes Otis stand out is that for us, the CALE program is a requirement that, that uh, the students um, move through each year. Um, although, and now Sammy was the president, but he brought in Richard Shelton, who is still is, as the director, and he's still the current director. And Richard Shelton is the one who's really developed the program into the success that it is today. So um, he's really dedicated to this whole idea of having art students have um, real-world partners to um, uh, work with that gives them a chance to use their art to solve problems, to work collaboratively, you know, and just to kind of discover. And actually, it's a, a form of learning by doing, which is a really old idea that was introduced by John Dewey back in – probably, I don't know, the 50s or 40s or something. So 
and it's really that's essentially project-based learning. So he has he not only do students you know work in Malawi, they work with elementary schools in Los Angeles with the junior blind. I mean, there's just a host of opportunities that students have to really use their skills and discover what they can do. And I think you know I can't imagine the Made for Kids Malawi class anywhere else because you know he picked up this whole project. Um, I team teach it with David Russell. We came in in the second year of the program, and um, it's it's just been amazing. The, the work that the students are doing, what's coming out of this kind of collaboration, is just really remarkable to me. And I think that I can see that it's, you know, students go in, come into the class, and they come out, and they're different at the end. That's the thing that I can say. I can see how it becomes real and how they get focused. And I also, and we always, and we talk about thinking about themselves professionally. And my goal is that they, instead of just thinking of yourself having a job in a very narrow slice, you know, maybe just, you know, you're just thinking about trying to work for one or two companies. Now all of a sudden you can say, wait a minute, I could work internationally. I can work for those two companies, but I could also work for, you know, the Peace Corps or for the World Health Organization or, or with doing scientific research, I have the capability to do more than what I assumed was the strict lane that I need to stay in as an artist. And that is something that really excites me about the program. That's really powerful. And I want the listeners to know that when our show is concluded and I write a, a, a follow-up blog about what we talked about I will be hyperlinking some of these websites for people to go and really study and learn more, like, for instance, um, about your KALE program and the um, integrated um, learning uh, for the made, kit, uh, made for Kids in Malawi. And since we're talking about that, what I think is so remarkable and part of what you spoke about at, at our Rotary meeting, and I thought we could talk about that now, is the um, Jacaranda School for Orphans in Malawi. And um, that you have students that go there and teach those workshops. So I would really like you to share. And just for those of you that live locally, Jacaranda is how it is pronounced in Malawi. Those of us here call it Jacaranda. It's a very beautiful tree in Southern California. And it's a has beautiful purple blooms and when you visit the web your web page and I'll make sure that people know how to visit your web page um, it, it, it's a it's a magnificent tree so let's let's spend some time talking about the school and and what that's all about so tell us about that the, the school if you wouldn't mind oh not at all so this school um, is was founded by Marie de Silva and in response to a problem that came up in the village. She was born and raised in Malawi um, in the village where the school is located. She found out that the school, the village school was closing. And so she was working in the States. She called her mom and said, can we open up our house and start a school there? So the kids have a school to go to. And she would send her salary back um, part of her salary, you know, to keep this school open. Um, and, over time, you know, it started to grow. But what, what was so amazing about it was that they ended up focusing on kids who were orphaned by losing one or both parents to AIDS. Um, and, the, you know, AIDS was ravaging the village. So 
you can imagine if um you know if a village has challenges economic challenges if a if if a child loses their parents sometimes their relatives really can't afford to take them in so sometimes these kids were ending up on the street so by her opening this school it meant that the kids that sort of nobody wanted had a place to go and they became a, a, a family. And she also, in, with working with her husband, um, Luc Deschamps, is, who's the executive director of their foundation, they created a program that provided support for the family so they could take in the kids that were orphaned. And they provided them with an education, with meals, with medical support, because some of the kids are HIV positive. And now they are one of the most successful schools in the country. Um, and it's just been really an amazing um, accomplishment for the, for the organization. You know, I went to your website. Sure, I went to your I know you've returned from a little bit of a cough because you've just you just recently returned from Malawi. Yes. I I I went to the video on your website and there was mm-hmm. a young girl that was taking us through the house. And mm-hmm. this is where this was this room and this room was used for this room and this room was used for this room. It was so personal. It was so beautifully delivered. Um I'm going to just mention a link right now. I'm going to I'm going to vocalize it, but I'm also going to make sure that it is included in my blog. But if people want to go to the Jacaranda Foundation, that's the www.jacaranda.foundation.org. That's just one of the sites that I would like people to, to visit. It's a beautifully, beautifully constructed site. I, I'm looking at it now as we speak, and there's a lot of ways that people can um, learn more about what it is that you do. So I will make sure that people know that. Uh, How long have you you been partners um, with with the Jacaranda School? Has it been a few years now? Yes. So the trip that we just completed a a few weeks ago was our third trip. So we, um, um, Rich Shelton has a 10-year agreement with the foundation, but honestly, it's been so successful that it's hard for me to imagine that it will stop in 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. So, because not only do our students go there and, and conduct workshops, we have two students each summer come from their school and go to Otis Summer of Art. And they work on their art skills and prepare their portfolio so that then they'll be ready to apply for college at an art school, either at Otis or somewhere else internationally. So now we have this really close relationship. And those kids that have come to the Summer of Art work as um, teaching assistants in our class. So it may be surprising to people, but we are actually Zooming with these kids through the 15 weeks of the semester. So our students are working with them collaboratively through the, via the Internet, and we're designing projects and developing ideas that will be executed once we get there. And so on that side, the, the, the um, Otis Summer of Art graduates are the teachers, and we are all working together. And that's part of what's exciting about this kind of sort of project-based collaborative learning for the Otis students. And then what, so then what happens is once we've gone through all that kind of, um, you know, working out ideas, that's how we come up with the projects that they carry out once we get there, get to the country. Um, should I mention a few of those or? 
Oh, I would love for you to do that. And I just have to tell you, like I said, I, your websites are fabulous. And I saw those two young men that came here uh, on yes. a video talking about and then going and sharing what they've learned with young children in the villages. It's, it's really powerful. It, it, what you're doing gives me goosebumps. It's powerful what you're doing. And, yes, let's, let's, let's spend this, this next half an hour just talking about some of these remarkable, just, I mean, there are so many. So we're going to just focus on a few. So let's, let's talk about some of the examples of these student projects. You, take it away. <laughs> So we have, so we kind of have areas of focus. That's how it seems to be working. So we kind of have our digital photography animation area so that every year we're making sure that they're getting, you know, education in basic photography. You know, they're learning how to work with cameras. There, we just did, um, Otis College donated a large number of um, computers because when we were there in the past, their computers weren't strong enough to handle Photoshop. So when we go next summer, we'll have we'll be able to work with those um, the, that equipment. And um, so this year we had storyboarding. Gina uh, Guy Vox Mendoza did that. We had Noah Wu and Hassam Hazam were doing um, photography education, and that's important because you can get a job being a photographer in um, Malawi. So there are some of these digital, this kind of digital education people really want because they want to work. Um, then, and with that, uh, and we have, uh, out of that side came an amazing project that the students requested when we were Zooming, which was a grand, it's like a grandmother's project. And what they wanted was to take pictures of their grandmothers and to honor their grandmothers. So this is the kids, remember, thinking about this 11, 12, 13, 14, mm. 15-year-old students saying, we want, it, we want pictures of our grandmothers. And the thing is that what you have to understand is not only is it a culture that has a history of respecting, you know, their elders, but these grandmothers are saving the community because if your mom or your dad has passed away, it's maybe your grandmother or your auntie who's taking care of you. And so they're basically saying, you know, thank you for taking care of us when they're, you know, asking for this project. So the, so the photographers that went down this year worked to feature several grandmothers that have taken on so many kids and done so much for the community. And we're hoping to, do, well, we, we know it will happen. We're going to create an exhibition. So there will definitely be an exhibition in Malawi. And I'm hoping that we can bring it to Otis or at least to Los Angeles and have, you know, have it show in a few places so we can talk about what these kids have done and why it's important. So that's an amazing mm -hmm. project. Um, we also have, um, we have a product design area. So we did like, we had Dante Mahoney make um, memory books. Gia Xu made, uh, taught kids to make their own book bags, which were amazing. Hannah Damp taught them how to make chairs. Um, and then we have a student, Patsy Pitts, who graduated last year. She's an older student. She's a veteran. And she taught a doll making workshop last year. That was amazing. There were about nine or 10 girls in the workshop. Um, when they came up on stage at the end to show what they had done, they all said they had never had a doll before, their own doll. Oh. So it was really amazing. Then she came back. She brought her daughter back with her this year, <coughs> excuse me, who's also a college student, 
but she she offered the workshop again this year. There must have been 20 or 25 kids in the workshop. There were also boys in the workshop this year. And what was amazing was she broke them into groups. They had team leaders. I mean, the same kind of collaborative work that we do at Otis, she was doing in that doll workshop. And it was so powerful to see all of them up there. You know, here's the team leader. The team leader's reading off the names of the kids in their groups. The kids are talking about their dolls. It was remarkable. So, so that's an ongoing project. Um, and then we also have um, – well, I just I want to back up and say there's an ongoing sure. project that we have, which is Kafunga. Um, this was started by Monsi Barahoma, well, her, her arena nickname Monsi Barahona, who um, came the first and second years. And what happened in the first years that she saw that when we were zooming, when they were zooming with the, you know, in the classroom that the girls weren't talking, that the boys were take talking. And she said, okay, we have to change that. We need to give these girls more confidence. So she initiated the idea of the Kafunga group. And then the next year we really worked on developing it and building it up. And a lot of girls joined. And then we went back this year and we have, you know, it's, it's real. And we're about to start having them, you know, sort of, have skills and things that they work on to develop. So I was really, I'm just really excited. I think what Monsi has done is outstanding because this is now a lasting program and they will have a sort of a curriculum to encourage the girls because it's still hard to be a girl. You know, you have to clean and cook and then do your homework. So we're trying to support the girls so they, they can get to college. Um, so that's an amazing program. Let and, me ask um, you about that program. Let me let me interrupt yes. just for a moment. So, in this particular Kafunga program, mm-hmm. um, is what what is what are they focusing on? Are they focusing on architecture? Because um, Moonzi has no. that background, or what? What's their what's their focus? No, yes. Yeah, so they're not focusing on architecture. Re- really, they're focusing on self esteem. And, and personal development. So what was really interesting is that, um, so um, there's a woman, Edith, who's part of the foundation who works with the girls and they have had meetings last year and they're talking, you know, so they're talking about, you know, like not getting distracted by boys, you know, focusing on your education. And it was so encouraging for me because when I, when we were just down there and we had a meeting and I'm talking and I'm talking to them about, you know, a saying in Suriname. So in Suriname, they used to say that your boyfriend is your education, right? And so I'm telling them this story and I'm watching these girls and they're so excited and they're they're saying, yes, that's right. And I said, you know, and you want to be faithful to your boyfriend and that boyfriend is your education. And so they were so excited that um, I just kind of felt like that's why now we want to keep offering them things like reading more books. And, and so some of them want to go into science, some want, you know, nursing, some want to go into accounting, some, so that they are getting a chance to be encouraged and supported. Um, and it was so cute. They came up with their own cheer. Um, so kafunga means kind of like to what prevail, but let me the interrupt. cheer, right, like a, like a saying. Mean. Oh, a, a cheer. Saying. I'm so sorry. Cheer. Like a okay, cheer, yeah. So, uh-huh. so Kafunga is um, like sort of like when you prevail or blossom, right? That's 
Kafunga. So they, they, they say this cheer for me, and they're like, Kafunga, yes, we can. Kafunga, we can change the world. And I was just thrilled <sighs> to see all these girls, you know, saying that and being so excited. And I was like, we have to support them. I mean, like, right now we have about 36 um, girls in the group. So imagine if 36 girls come out of this experience feeling like they can do what they want to do, that they can choose education, that they can live a better life, you know, that they have opportunity. That's, um, you know, transformative, not just for them, but for their communities, for their families. It's so, so important. And so um, I think that what Monsi conceptualized, we are dedicated to supporting that in every way possible. Um, we're, we're just thrilled by it. Um, and so, and so in, in addition to that, so when I went, went down with, Monsi was in the group last year, then we also started a women's group. So, and that's Umozi or Unity. They chose their name, which was Unity, because part of it was we said we don't want to be, we want to be helping each other as we're lifting up, not, you know, backbiting, right? And these are the aunties and the grandmas. So you have to understand the girls are getting educated because they're at Jacaranda, but a lot of their aunties and grandmothers are not, which means that they, they could be making 20 cents. 20 U.S. cents a day, they could be living on that. So um, mm -hmm. now the, the, the women in that program are going to be going through the microfinance training that Jacaranda offers. And they just witnessed the first class, one of the, well, a recent class goes through and they actually dress up, you know, and it's amazing. And they said afterwards, they said, do you mean next year we get to be like them and have, you know, the cap and gown and graduate in front of everybody? And we said, yes. And they were thrilled. So it's just another example of being able to encourage women to know that they matter and that, you know, that they're going to get some support to improve their lives. And, um, and when you talk about the girls group, let me just ask this question because yes. you mentioned that you have 36 girls. What are their ages? They are like in that sort of middle school, I guess, um, you know, 11, 12 it can, they're going like sort of 11 to 17, but the strongest showing is in that sort of middle school age, 11, 12, 13, 14, or early high school. But also it's a new mm -hmm. group, so we're kind of getting them fresh. So I'm hoping that the more the girls see what, what benefits come from being in the group, the, that it will get larger and larger and larger. Do they meet – is this – is this during after-school programs? Does this happen during? Yes. How often do they get together? They are meeting. I believe it's um, every week. They meet every week and they have a little meeting and they talk about things. And that's why we're going to now start incorporating. You know, I'm going to be looking for books that would be good for them to read that have to do with self-esteem. And, you know, you know, growing your skills and having a dream and living the life that you want. So I want to look for, for those kinds of opportunities and also opportunities for them if they have a particular, you know, professional interest that we're encouraging them in that way to grow and learn about that interest. And maybe even maybe if we have a project, um, we have a chance for them to sort of shadow somebody and learn a little bit about, you know, some scientific scientific 
um, practice. So, for example, we have another project, which is an amazing project, which is the Embrace Cerebral Palsy Project. And that project is being carried out by Katie Herman and Juliette Schmidley, their product design students. So what happened was last year when we went down, they had just recently finished their physiotherapy clinic because cerebral palsy is a real problem in in Malawi because of malaria, because of malnutrition, because of um, teenage pregnancy. Um, There's so many reasons why um, there's a higher incidence than normal of cerebral palsy. And so when they're they're in the clinic and the, the physiotherapist is talking to them about and showing them the equipment, and he says, what the problem is, this equipment is made of wood. Wood is expensive in Malawi, so it's difficult for us. We can't really provide chairs for the moms at home to put their, their children in. And so what ends up happening is they prop them up in the corner on the floor because they have nowhere else to put them. Because they have other children. Sometimes they have to cook and clean and do things. And the product design student, so we had another product design student who's just graduated, Amanda De Silva, who was there too, um, they kind of snapped to attention and said, wait a minute, this is what we're trained to do. And they started working on this. So Amanda also explored creating chairs with cardboard, and she created a version of a chair. Um, Katie and Juliet have taken this in a step farther because they are actually now developing, you know, almost like their own nonprofit to create designs Um, And, you know, sort of ergonomically um, viable and inexpensive designs that can be used so that they can be customized to each child's particular issue. You know, so some kids may have need wedges on their right side, some may need something on their left. I mean, the kids have all these kinds of issues that need to be addressed directly. So they're working very closely with the physiotherapist. They're getting data. I mean, they're actually doing sort of scientific research. So you can imagine, this is another example of this experience-based learning. So, you know, when they started this, as artists, they had this sort of deer and headlights look like, how are we going to deal, you know, this is what doctors do. Then I, you know, I kind of said, well, what do you do as a product designer? They said, we solve problems. I said, okay. If you can solve a problem, you can solve a problem. You just figure out how to solve the problem. And they they know more about it than I do. I mean, they have just taken over, you know, researching this problem, working on their designs, making connections with people, talking to people about, you know, how do, how do they think this through, gathering data. It's just remarkable, and it's just the best example of why I'm saying international work experience is so valuable. If they were in the States, no one would say to to students, "We need you to solve this problem." They would say, you know, "They'd say you're not, you haven't graduated yet. You haven't, you know, you 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 don't have a proven track record over there where resources are limited." They said, "Can you help us?" And now they're thinking it through, and of course they're working with professionals, but they're figuring it out. That is taking them so much farther than they could get on their own, you know, through an imaginative, you know, or sort of a simulated problem-solving experience. Not that simulations aren't good, they are good, but this is just another level of intensity. And I have watched them focus and get creative. I I just need to butt in here to say that I met Katie and Juliet at that Rotary meeting. And you guys were, we met on a Wednesday, I think you were leaving on Sunday, and off to Malawi you went. And what those two women have done 
is incredible, and I will most definitely link a YouTube video of what you presented at our Rotary meeting of what they are doing because imagine when she's when they were saying, well, we take cardboard. I'm thinking cardboard. Really? Cardboard, heavy cardboard, and you glue it together and you glue it and you glue it and you glue it so that it becomes a solid surface. And the results of these children sitting in these chairs, their 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 ability to to actually get better and improve. I think I read on the site one in three hundred children get cerebral palsy. This is an epidemic. Yes. And yes, and these it is. families, you know, it is it was so inspiring and it's my hope and goal that I can gather Katie and Juliet at some point and have them join me just as you are today to really talk about what they are doing. It, when, you, when you mentioned about having an international experience on the value of working internationally, uh, I, they, they are just one of your examples because, like you said, you, you've done so many. Helping microfinancing, so, they, so you, 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 teach, you teach the women that you give them the template. You help them mm-hmm. figure out how can you make these chairs and perhaps you can sell them and instead of living on 20 cents a day, perhaps you'll be able to have the benefit of some additional income in your, in your village and in your homes. What you're doing is just, it is, it's just staggering. I, I'm just, I don't think people, I mean, I'll, I'm, I'll just speak for me. I, I won't say people. I had no idea that Otis, which is a design and art college, would be doing this type of work. I just, I just was completely unaware. And I think that it's really important um, that, we, that we talk about this. And I, I think what I'd like to ask you, um, because maybe we have people that are listening right now that are students or families that are thinking about enroll, enrolling in a travel study program, what would, you, what would you recommend to them? What would you say to them? Well, you know, I would say um, every, every parent, let me take it from the point of view of a parent, Every parent knows their child, and they know if they think they could handle, you know, being overseas. However, I think um, that what parents also need to think about um, is sort of what kind of what do your what does your child need to become inspired? You know, it's not nowadays. You know, we're not just doing the lecture sort of memorization, take tests kind of thing. Students want to be have an interactive experience, you know, and that's really how they grow. And so if you think about travel, you can think about how that will broaden your child's perspective about the world. How, just realizing that everybody doesn't live the way we do in the States is major. But then also if they can actually apply a skill that they're learning to that experience, then they can think about it helps them focus their mind on where they're going to go. So I think one thing, there's something called high-impact learning practices. And I'm, I, I think what I'll do is I'll send you a, a quick little short um, article that just lists 10 high-impact learning practices that are – 
um, that have been proven to improve student success, you know, and um, those 10 in learning impact practices are, have been incorporated into the curriculum at Otis. And part of that works through travel study. And I think what people can see by reading that is they can think about, okay, you know, college is expensive. I want to make sure that my child gets the most out of it possible. So let me think about, so it might be worth it for them to have this kind of life-changing experience that's hard to measure in dollars, right? But if they come back from this experience with a stronger sense of who they are, more dedication to their field, a determination to succeed, which is what I've seen in these kids when they come back, that's priceless. And so I think parents need to sort of look at these things, explore and educate themselves about what it is in today's educational system that really helps their kids um, be successful when they graduate. Is it a two-year program? Are all of the programs at Otis two years, or is it a four-year program? It's, it's a four-year program. But you, okay. can also, you can also, we have an extension program. You are allowed to, to, to participate in the travel study class if you enroll through extension, but you still have to come to every class, just like a, a regular student. But you can um, just take, the, like, for example, a we have, you know, trips to Malawi, Japan. We have a lot of different trips. But ours is a little bit unique because ours is probably the most sort of international professional practice-driven class because that's really what we're looking at. We're helping them build that sense of who they're going to be once, they're gra once they graduate. And, they get, they, and you could get your, your degree in multiple areas, right? Architecture? Yes, could, is, we have seven majors. Yes, seven, we have seven okay. majors, architecture, um, communication arts, product design, fashion, um, fine arts, um, toy design. We're one of the few toy, I think there may be two toy design, maybe a new, maybe there's a now three, but we are one of the oldest toy design programs in the country. Um, our students get hired. And that's the other thing. I mean, a lot of Otis students are hired not long after they graduate. We have internships, which is one of those high-impact practices. And so we are really focused on getting them to think of themselves as professionals, preparing for that, you know, their, their professional life after Otis, and giving them the experiences that are going to really help them get a job when they graduate. And so this is all part of that process. Oh, that's wonderful. How long have you – so – you were there in 2005, then you left and you got your Ph.D. So how long have you been there since you went back? I came back in um, 2014, so I've been there um, six years since. Got it. Okay. Yes. Is, it, is it possible that people can enroll in your class if they're not a full-time student at Otis? Yeah, they can through that extension program that I mentioned. That's they how can, they you would can do just, that. Yes, that's how they would do it. They would just enroll as an extension student, and then they can participate. You know, and they would, and oh, they can nice. decide if they're. I I think with extension, you decide if you're getting it for credit. I really don't know the extension side of things, so I mm -hmm. don't quote me. But you can definitely enroll as a, a, a through extension. I think that's terrific. I, I I'm just trying to imagine this education experience through the eyes of students, but also through the eyes of you, because you must be just witnessing incredible growth and, and experiences 
that that you probably could anticipate that these students would have. But unless they, you know, I remember when I was in school, we had AFS students that went and lived in another country for a year, mm-hmm. and those students also came to our school, and they did that kind of, you know, high school experience. But this is on a such a greater level, and I was thinking about, I'm just putting myself in these villages, and I was wondering specifically as someone that's done some traveling, is English uh, a language that they all speak, or, or do they have, you know, their own village languages as well? Yeah, so um, Chichewa is the national language, but because it was a British colony, um, most people, not per se in the villages, but if you're educated, then you probably speak English fairly well. So, so, um, so that's why it's not difficult for our students to communicate. We do have translators when we go into the village to work like with the grandmothers and that sort of thing. But um, that, that takes one barrier away because it's great that there is another language, but it's also great that it's not so difficult for us to get somebody who can translate or that a lot of times if we're somewhere in the city or whatever, they can easily talk to someone in English. So it it also, it works in both ways. I experienced that myself when I was there, um, that there was, there were tribal languages and then there, there was English. And I, I didn't know what to anticipate. And I, I think I want to also mention that if you're listening and you're wondering where exactly is Malawi? Let me just <laughs> tell you that it is, here's what it's surrounded by. It's surrounded by Mozambique, Zambia, and Tanzania. So it's on the, it's on the southeast um, area of the continent. And uh, it, it's just, and I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about those trees. And it, I'm, at some point I'm going to have to research, you know, why, what those the, the significance of the trees because when you look at the pictures of the children who are so beautiful everyone's wearing that lavendery purple shirt which is so nice and I, I believe you also mentioned to you and I when we were speaking about um, the school and the foundation it is not an orphan they do not live in correct they, they, they correct. go there they have their education but they do not live in, correct? Correct. That's why they the school supports the family, like whatever the next of kin family member is. If they can't afford to, um, you know, take care of this additional child in the family, they provide them some, you know, financial support so that they are able to do that. And they've done amazing things. They've gone into families and they've seen that their housing conditions are horrible and they build them a new house. I mean, they, so there's homes that are being built in the village to help people. They're supporting them with, you know, sort of financial aid so that the kids um, can stay with a family member. They make sure that the kids get two meals of porridge a day, which because nutrition is a big issue in terms of HIV and AIDS. So the kids are certain to have their two meals a day. So that puts less pressure on the family in terms of providing food for them. So they're doing so many things to make sure that that, that that, fam- that extended family is being supported, and that makes it easier for them to say, yes, I will take in my niece or nephew. You know, the other thing I was thinking about and thinking about these children specifically and, their, and what they've dealt with at very young ages, and that's, that's trauma. 
that that's yes. grief and trauma. And so when you were mentioning earlier that there's a lot of um, self-esteem and personal development and encouragement and, and transformative, is there also a level of emotional support for these for these young people that have seen things that most of us will never see? You know, I think that they probably do do that at Jacaranda. I don't know sort of the inside of that, but here's what I do see is that the kids feel loved in that school, right? They feel loved and supported. And so what ends up happening is you go into the school and you're seeing these kids that look pretty happy. If they do have a problem, you know, maybe outside in the family, um, Marie is going to find out about it. They And then they may send Edith or someone to go do a home visit. So they do home visits to find out what's going on and then figure out what do they need to do. Do they need to move this child? What is going on? So they are so involved with the home life of the kids as well as their school life. And I think that has made such a difference for them. So I think that, you know, when you when kids know that there's that level of intervention in their lives, you know, for their benefit, I think that it kind of makes them feel like, okay, I may have a problem, but at least I have somebody I can talk to about it. And they're not just going to say, oh, oh, that's sad. Something's going to happen as a result of me saying something. And I think that has made such a big difference. And I think that's partially why this, the students are doing so well in school, because they don't have the weight of all of these traumatic issues going on at home. So they can focus on their schooling. And, you know, and they're getting a lot of girls are going to college from, from um, Jacaranda School. And they're trying to make sure they go to college as well. Boys, too. But, you know, it's always hard to get the girls to that level. And they are sending kids to college. And that's exciting. It's really exciting, and I could visualize, you know, these young people coming back after they've graduated and being mentors and yes. supporters of, of young people because they personally understand the value. You know, I can really see that. And like I, like I said to our listeners, it, you, you, you need to visit the websites to really get a sense of just how fabulous um, these organizations are, and um, I will make sure that people are, you know, notified of how to do this. And certainly, um, you will accept um, donations for this. And I'd like people to know that, you know, if they would like to make a contribution, there are certainly ways. Whether it's through the um, the Jacaranda Foundation. Um, we mentioned Katie earlier on the Embrace CP, which is cerebral yes. palsy. She also does fundraising. And yes. to think that, And we're you know, also doing fundraising you know, at Kale, for Kale, too. Oh, good. With the, so Kale, with the Made for Kids ways. Malawi program. Yes. That's terrific. And I'll make sure that I include that link as well because there may be somebody listening. Um, you know, this is an Internet show. This can be heard in Malawi, you mentioned Zoom earlier, and I happen to know that term, but there probably are people that don't know what Zoom is. It's it's similar, to, for those of you that don't know, that like Skype, where you can yes. actually um, – people that podcast, there are podcasters that use Zoom. When I 
first started my career as a as a host of this show, I was in a studio where my show was audio and visual. Now that I'm not in the studio and I'm sitting in my beautiful little office upstairs in my home in Westchester, not far from Otis College, uh, I don't have a visual. Um, uh, I'm not visual, but I know that there are podcasters that do have the technology of Zoom. And to have that ability where you are sitting in one continent and you got to factor in the time change because it's a, is it yeah. about, is it 12 hours? 11 hours? It's, it's nine hours. Somewhere. No, it's nine, nine hours. Nine hours. You know. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you, you need to factor that in that you need to kind of meet them where they are. And and if it's, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon, you know, it's it's 10 o'clock here. And exactly. it's, it's you're, you're well, like I said, your website is beautiful. And, and when you just read about what people are doing, thanks to Otis, and your collaboration with the Jacaranda Foundation, and people like you, people that are that that are making such a difference. I'm so happy that we met one another and that we've become friends, and that um, I can support you in what it is that you're doing that that brings you so much joy because that's important. You need to know that you're making a difference, and by your commitment and involvement, your students that will start in a couple of months and their, and their programs at, at Otis um, a College for, uh, for Art and Design, they're going to have an opportunity to know you too, Joanne. And um, I want to thank you so, so much for taking time out of your day to spend this time with me and my listeners talking about what's so transforming in your life. It's it's just been a, a true joy to have you join me. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about what we do. I, I really appreciate it. Well, um, what we'll have to do, and I and I trust me, I have many return guests, especially those in the nonprofit area of life where they're doing things where it's like, so what have you been doing since I saw you last? So I look <laughs> forward to another show down the road. I look Wonderful. forward to having Katie and Juliet join me where we'll be talking specifically about what they're doing um, to um, help these children with cerebral palsy. And oh, I just, I love my Mondays. I love what I do. And next week I'll have a, just another fascinating guest join me. So I want to thank you once again, and I want to thank all of you that listen and support and enjoy my shows each week because it really is, I don't even want to say a labor of love, although maybe one could say that, but it is something that I truly love doing every week, and uh, I'm delighted to, to have this opportunity. So thanks again, Joanne, and I'll... I'll have to meet you at Starbucks someday. We look, we we live and work very close to one another. All right. Wonderful. Sounds wonderful. Thanks again. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs>